Blog Talk Radio. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. Well, welcome to this edition of Wealth Psychology with Emily and Dr. Jamie Traeger-Muni. We are the partners in the firm Wealth Legacy Group, and we specialize in the emotional impact of wealth in people's lives. Today, you will be uh, with me, Emily Bouchard. I'm out here in gorgeous uh, Marin County, north of San Francisco. Wow, we have a spectacular day today. And we have a really phenomenal guest that uh, was able to join us at the last minute, and we're just thrilled to have you here. Uh, we're going to be talking about the dreaded prenup, why it can be good for your relationship. And our guest is Eric Newton, and he is a, uh, a family lawyer in San Francisco area. And his approach uh, is really quite remarkable. He has a, a varied background. We're going to talk a little bit about his background while he's here. And he is a proponent of artfully creating premarital agreements to strengthen marriages. And this is something we really want to know about. And uh, his firm, Heath Newton, is uh, a, a family law firm focusing on marriage, family law, child custody, and complex asset division. Uh, he blends his professional and personal background to offer insight on creating healthy marriages, avoiding common relationship mistakes, and getting divorced the right way in a variety of seminars and webinars. So welcome to our show, Eric. Thanks, Emily. I appreciate you having so, me. Yeah, so delighted to have you. And, uh, you know, we are going to be covering prenups. I got really excited about this topic when I first met Eric a couple of years ago, I guess, and he let me know about his passion for this and how he sees the constraints in marriages because we feel the same way. And uh, most recently, when I saw that Eric was able to weigh in on a debate on the New York Times opinion page, I got really excited and said, we really need to have him on the show. So thanks for being here. My total pleasure. We want to invite listeners that have questions about your prenup or what a prenup is or what you can do to strengthen your marriage with it to call in live during our show at 347-215-6138. So, Eric, welcome. Let's find out a little bit about you and uh, what is it that brings you to the whole legal profession about places strengthening marriages? Uh, this This seems like to some people this would be an odd mix. Well, are you saying how did I end up with this particular perspective, which seems to be the opposite of what most family lawyers hold? Yes, very much so. You're pretty unique in that area. I'd like to hear more about that. You know, what it comes down to is that uh, deep down I'm a romantic, and I've always been a romantic, and I found myself practicing family law, which of course means mostly divorce law, and uh, it was challenging. It was when I first got into this business. It was a real, it was a real rough road. 
to uh, be dealing with people's um, divorce traumas or marriage traumas every day, day in and day out. And so I started looking around for a way to approach what I was doing from a perspective that just left me feeling better. I just really just wanted to feel better. And so I started thinking about how to go about strengthening marriages and and also thinking about what I do from the perspective that it's a sometimes necessary transition in a marriage, which made me think more about the transitions in and the transitions out of marriage and also the transitions during marriage that happen constantly. And that led me to thinking about how prenups can be used to strengthen marriages and I've um and so I've been writing and thinking about that ever since. Wow, that's great. And you you bring up a good point because so many people focus so much on planning their wedding. Like there's such an emphasis on the wedding day. Oh so true. And focusing on having the perfect wedding and this whole, you know, and then they lived happily ever after. And there's nothing about planning the marriage. And you're talking about intentionally looking at and planning a marriage from the start. And like, as I said, prenup conversation could be a foundational conversation towards that. Because I know that's something you and I have talked about. Yeah. People put more time into planning their taxes than they do into planning their marriages. You know, and marriages are something they plan to do for the rest of their life. I really think people need to put in a little bit more time into, at the very least, understanding what a marriage actually is, both from a a legal perspective and from their own subjective, kind of personal and emotional perspective. A lot of people haven't even given it that critical thought. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, because that's just really fascinating. It's, It's like the most common contract that everybody enters into. Talk a little bit about the marriage contract and what it actually is. Well, it's different in every state. Um, you know, marriage law is, is state-based, and so I can't speak to the entire country, but I can give you a quick overview of what the marriage contract in, in California says, if that would be useful. Sure, just to give people a sense of it. Yeah. Sure. So in California, we live in what's called a community property state, and that means that um, any assets that are acquired, any income that's generated – uh, during the marriage, is considered to be owned by both people. It's considered to be owned by the community. And this actually goes so far as to, it, it extends to the very concept of personal effort. So your actual effort, your your blood, your sweat and tears, is considered to be owned by the community. And so whenever you contribute that effort towards a business that you happen to have owned prior to marriage, perhaps, or when you contribute it to maybe a piece of real estate that you own prior to marriage, um, all of these different assets start to become community property to a good degree because you're contributing a community asset to them. So, uh, and then the flip side of that is what's earned prior to marriage is considered to be separate property in California unless you mix it in one of these ways that I just mentioned. So there's community property and separate property. Community yeah. property is what's earned during the marriage. And if there's ever a divorce, community property is split evenly. And during the marriage, both partners are entitled to control and to manage the community property without reference to the other partner. And that rule, all of these rules really are just fine for most people. I mean, they've been developed over years and years of, uh, like I said in the New York Times article, common law and common sense. 
Yeah. People have been thinking about this for a long time, and these are the best rules we can come up with, and so they work for most people. But they don't work for everybody. Um, equal management just is not appropriate in certain situations. Um, having uh, co- the possibility to commingle, which is the term of art for mixing, uh, having the possibility to commingle your separate property that you had prior to marriage with assets that you earned during marriage can create a whole mess of complications for some couples. Um, so, yeah, yeah go, oh, go on. I, I, my last point was just that people need to know what these basic rules are before they get into this agreement, uh, and not so much to protect themselves on the back end or, or that or the potential end of the marriage, but just so that they know what the ground rules are going in. Yeah, it makes so much sense, and it, it really supports like having clear understanding and guidelines for how to work with what's owned and what, how monies are used during the marriage, however long the marriage is. And if it's done well right from the beginning, it can actually take care of a lot of resentments and hurts along the way because of presumptions and expectations people have that maybe never got expressed or were never really... Uh, uh, looked at from all sides, shall we, shall we say. And I think yeah. about when when I wrote the estate planning for the blended family with Paul, we sp- spent a lot of time on prenups because when you have the yours, mine, and ours scenarios from kids from different relationships, what you bring to the marriage, whether it's assets or debt, becomes a whole nother conversation. There's a lot of complexities around fairness, equality, and how to make sure what you've built for your uh, first uh, set of family uh, members gets uh, allotted and passed to them. Some people have a real strong attachment to that. And while also wanting to take care of the new family that they're creating too. And how do you do both and, especially when there's conflicts of interest. And having clear agreements right up front takes care of so much of that. Have you, have you seen that? Oh, Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the blended family. You know, what I've seen, uh, having done, you know, several hundred of these now in the last just couple of years, is that there is no right set of agreements for any particular couple. Every couple is completely different, and they all have completely different fears and uh, hopes and anxieties, and all of these things come together for every couple in an entirely unique way, which is frankly beautiful, but means that there is as many perfect prenups as there are couples. And blended families are a perfect example of that. Yeah, so talk a little bit about what a prenup actually is. You know, some people, they just hear the word and they cringe. Right. Uh, in the New York Times article, they talked about how, you know, a woman was coerced into having one uh, signed <laughs> four days before the marriage, and it didn't even hold up. So could you speak a little bit about a prenup and how they're to make them, like, like what? why would you use it? What is it? And I love the title of your part participation, which says you have one anyway. So speak yeah. a little bit about what it is. I think that's the premise to start from in any premarital agreement conversation. Uh, That premise is that every couple in the world has a prenup whether they want one or not. And that's because the default rules of the place that they live, the default laws, 
are a prenup. The the laws every every jurisdiction has laws around marriage and what happens during marriage and after marriage, and that's just a prenup. So the question really isn't do you want a prenup. The question is are you happy with the one you've got, and that's why you need to know what the one you've got says. And you know the the default state prenup or if you live in another country, the default country prenup, as I said before, is probably sufficient for most people. But they need to know what it is before they go in. And they also need to know that if the place they live decides to change its laws, which does happen fairly regularly, then their default prenup changes too. And so what a a premarital agreement, a customized premarital agreement, which is what you would go to a lawyer to have drafted, is really able to accomplish, is that you, is that the couple gets to think through what it is that marriage means to them, and then they get to set that out in writing so that it's clear for everybody. Um, And then it doesn't change as the laws change. It's it's static. It stays there. Um, you know, as I say that, I go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. If you have another thought, finish it, and then I'll ask you. Yeah, the I, I said the word static, and it made me think that um, that might sound a little bit too, um, uh, I don't know, universal. The, mm-hmm. the point is, you know, you can change a premarital agreement as your marriage changes. Um, all you need to do is modify it. I guess the point I'm really trying to make is that it doesn't change with the whims of the current uh, government. Yeah, good point. And I think that the other thing that couples need to be aware of is you can have a really great agreement that you have both agreed to and you've uh, set up really well and you're happy with. And then if you don't choose behaviors that uh, put forth the intention of the agreement... Does it make it null? Because, I mean, I just know that if you say, this is what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, and then we're going to do this together. And then if you start doing what you said in terms of commingling and mixing, bank accounts or um, asset management and that sort of thing, does it have an impact on whether or not the prenup will actually hold later on? Oh, that is such a great question, and almost nobody ever thinks to ask that question. Uh, the answer is that sometimes it can have the impact that you're concerned about. So uh, there are times when the couple sets up a set of rules. Uh, just as you mentioned, for instance, we're not going to commingle these bank accounts. They're going to stay separate. And then they forget that they've draft, drafted that clause, and then throughout the marriage, um, they just do commingle those accounts. Sometimes, and with some judges, we've got to remember there's a lot of judicial discretion when it comes to enforcing prenups. Sometimes, and with some judges, um, a course of behavior will uh, tend to um, uh, weaken the the validity of the agreement. However, what Mm -hmm. we try to do when we draft our agreements is we try to craft them in such a way that if the couple forgets about a clause unintentionally, and um, through their course of behavior does something that completely contradicts the agreement, that there's a stopgap in there somewhere that saves the whole agreement from being overturned and has a um, a remedy for that situation. So, for instance, in the commingling example that you mentioned, we include a paragraph that simply says, you know, if we do accidentally commingle these accounts, uh, we're going to reimburse whoever 
uh, contributed the assets dollar for dollar with no interest. And if we well, can't figure yeah. out what was contributed, it's considered to be a gift. That way, the, yeah. The, yeah, there's that's a backstop. An ex- there. That's a great example of how uh, having one that's particularly gra- drafted for your unique situation can take care of a concern like that really effectively and make sure that what it is your intention is stays that way throughout the marriage, even if, um, you know, there was a, an unintentional mingling or just out of convenience mingling, co-mingling that happened. So I just yeah. want to remind listeners that you can uh, weigh in on this conversation around prenups, whether to have one or not to have one, how to have one, and do it gracefully by calling us at 347-215-6138. And if you'd rather uh, email your questions to us, you can email them to listeners at sylviaglobal.com. And we are really excited to continue this conversation. I'm Emily Bouchard from the Wealth Legacy Group here uh, at the Wealth Psychology Hour on Sylvia Global Radio with Eric Newton, uh, partner at Keith Newton LLP in uh, San Francisco. And we are talking about his approach to prenups. Uh, Thanks so much for being here, Eric. And I wanted to ask you, would you speak a little bit more about how you believe that prenups really strengthen marriages? Because I know a lot of people are really incredulous about this, and I want to dive a little bit more deeply into it. So most people think prenup, and they dread it, they avoid it, they wait till the last minute, they hate having to have the conversation. So there's so much fear around and anxiety around it, and I've seen it. And I want to know what you see in terms of how people can use it to really um, approach it in a way that can strengthen the marriage. Well, step one for somebody who wants to approach it that way is to state that as their intention. Uh, it, it might sound redundant, but for the for the couple to say, you know, we're doing this because we want to strengthen our marriage, and then the various ways that that's true will start to um, become apparent to them. And, but the most obvious way that that's true, that it strengthens marriages, is that couples really don't like to tackle conversations having to do with money, personal finances, uh, prior to marriage when they're in that um, honeymoon phase because it just doesn't sound romantic in our culture to talk about money. The truth is, though, really any couple you talk to who's been married more than a couple of years will tell you that uh, the issue of finances is one of the fundamental issues in every marriage because marriage for most people really is a partnership and that partnership necessarily involves what you do with resources. And so here we are in a culture that thinks that money isn't romantic and yet it's one of the most foundational concepts in every romantic partnership. And so it goes largely unexpressed until there's an emergency. And then there's an emergency and, um, and emotions are high, and oftentimes trust is broken, and that little break in trust can lead to a breakdown in the marriage later on. So our whole approach at this office and my whole approach personally is just to say, look, you're going to deal with these issues eventually. So why not talk about them up front when the, when the um, chemicals in your brain are, are really happy 
and everything is rosy, and you can really talk about these issues in an open-minded and fair way. That's the best time to discuss these difficult topics. And then you lay them out. And I have one more thing to say about that if you weren't yeah. going to jump in, which is... No, no, go, go. I want to hear it. It's, it's just that um, you may not solve all of the potential problems. You may not answer every unresolved question. You may not come put a period on every sentence around money. But if you go through the process of drafting a prenup or even considering one or even exploring one, if you go through that process diligently and mindfully, you'll at least have discussed all of the, the big issues that come up in marriage. And whether or not you resolve them, there's a groundwork for communication that's laid in that process. And then if that issue comes up again during the marriage, you can refer back to the groundwork. And you can remember yeah. where you were emotionally at the time that you started to discuss it. Well said, yeah. And I think that this is where um, I love um, working with you around these topics because uh, this is where the money types, these uh, patterns of behavior that people have around money mm -hmm. can really start to have interplay in the dialogue. And, you know, I've, I'm sure you've seen this. We see it with our clients. Is you may have a pretty dominant um, archetypal pattern that somebody has when it comes to money where they may show up one way when they're talking about choosing China or um, where they're going to do their honeymoon. But when they start talking about money, whoa, this other part of them comes out. And it's really uh, it's, important to know how to navigate with that part as you go into the marriage. And you want to discover that beforehand. Oh, it's so true. I, I'm so glad you've taken it to that level. It's it's really it's really extraordinary to observe that in the in the drafting dynamic. You know, in the in that moment when we're all together and we're talking about a particular clause in the agreement, you can you can even physically observe the change in people's demeanor when when something that triggers them deep enough around money occurs. I mean, they go from being, oh, the honeymoon and, you know, planning for the cake and all of these things are so uh, uplifting and fun. And then whatever it is that we're discussing about the prenup triggers them deep and they just, you can see the change wash over their face. Oh. It's really extraordinary how deep money is for humans. Well, yeah, and the fear of the marriage not dividing, right? Because that's what you're basically having the conversation about are the what ifs. And, you know, who wants to talk about that when you're in the phase of planning your life? And yet it's right there. And one of the things that I want our listeners to hear is that one of the reasons we want to bring this conversation forward is because it's there in the back of your mind anyway. You know, a lot of us come from homes. Our parents have divorced. Uh, we know people all around us that are divorcing. It's a reality in the field of our relating here in the Western culture, for sure, like 50% of the time. And in blended families, it's even more prevalent. And mm -hmm. it's something that if you don't bring it forward and say, hey, let's really look at how we want to approach this with all kinds of what ifs. Like, what if you get really sick? What if something happens and we end up going in different directions? What if, And just allowing yourself to really explore all those things um, and being in reality around the life you're creating together for as long as you're together and it really I, I believe that if you have the right skills for it it is very um, positively impactful in the relationship and I think people avoid it because they don't have the skills and they're so afraid of what this is going to bring up and when we're afraid we tend to avoid 
or we tend to go into, um, I would say, money-type, archetypal patterns of behavior that aren't the most effective, like either more of a kind of domineering and uh, overarching approach, like don't question me or I don't want to talk about, you know, planning for the end of our marriage. And then there might be a more passive, like more maybe victim, like, oh, I can't even speak up and say what I'm concerned about because look at how steady is getting even as we're just opening up the conversation. Yeah, like or I have to attack in order to win because this is the most fundamental issue of my safety. I mean, there's so many, yes. many paradigms that come out. And, and the art and the drafting process, um, both for the attorneys but also for the couple, is to give one another the space to have that process. Because yeah. the process is what it is, right? It's just, it is it's who we are, and it's fine, right? Everybody's got their process. It just, everybody's got their process. And so the key is let your partner have their process, and then love them anyway. And better to find out about that process now than three years in when you feel like you don't have any options. Yeah, exactly. I was just speaking with a woman uh, this past weekend, and she shared with me about when um, she and her husband wrote their vows and you know, said their vows to each other at their wedding, she was really touched and surprised when he included in his vows, I will always include you in every decision I make. Mm-hmm. And she thought that was so phenomenal. And then within, uh, she said, like a month of their marriage, he was making significant uh, decisions, financial decisions, without consulting her or talking to her about it. And mm-hmm. she just came forward and she said, you know, I'm curious why you made that vow. He said, oh, I'm totally regretting it. And she said, well, (laughs) you promised that, so are you going to start doing it? And it really opened up a whole conversation. And she shared with me that now he has this incredible freedom and joy whenever an opportunity shows up, whenever there's a significant decision to make with his business, with their finances, with anything. His response is, wow, this is great, and I need to get back to my wife, and I'll let you know. Oh, that's and great. It's so and it, honors and strengthens the marriage. Yeah. Because they addressed it head on. Yeah. I, I just I really admire her approach to that. That that and, and I'm 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 guessing I mean I don't know her tone of voice when she approached him, but I'm guessing it it wasn't uh in the form of an attack. Um but but that's no, not she, really my point. Was, my point was, is yeah. that she exactly. she went right to the issue. She pointed right to an inconsistency. And they looked at it together, and he decided, you know what, I want to be in this relationship. I did make this promise. Here's the result. And it's and, and they're lucky that that didn't. So what I find is that if that kind of conversation happens after marriage, it, it has a different dynamic than before marriage, because before marriage, they're, um, you, you don't you're not in a contract with one another. You can still walk away. You can still. Um, you know, you can still just call off an engagement, which is a lot easier than than divorcing. But once you're in a marriage, there's this sense like, wow, I don't have any choice now. Look, I'm stuck with this person, and they're acting this way, and who did I choose, and how did I get into this thing, and oh, my God. And then, you know, that, uh, what do they call that, the limbic brain, the, the, the yeah. critter brain, um, gets really activated, and fight or flight kicks in, and um, and then you're in a whole mess of trouble. So I'm, yep. I'm amazed that your friend was able to handle that after marriage so effectively. That's the kind of conversation I say people ought to have before marriage. Wow, this is great. I want to let make sure our listeners know that we're talking with Eric Newton, a 
family lawyer and based out of San Francisco who is uh, uh, really a proponent of building lasting marriages, supporting his uh, clients and having successful marriages and really having great prenups. And we're having a conversation about how to have prenup strengthen your marriage. And we are listening to Wealth Psychology on Sylvia Global Radio. You can weigh in and call in if you'd like and let us know your thoughts at 347-215-6138 or you can email us as one listener did. I have a question here. How would you... Oh, and the, the way you email us is listeners at sylviaglobal.com. How what is it? Approach, at listeners at oh, what? Oh, I'm sorry. It's listeners and it's sylviaglobal.com. Got it. How would you approach the issue with someone who believes that marriage is forever and the idea of a prenup suggests that divorce is an option for you and that it means your mindset is not forever but until? Well, that's a great question. Um, I I think that... So my first answer is going to sound a little bit like a politician's answer because it's not a direct answer. So I'll just out myself in advance. My first answer is that that very concept, that very concept of marriage is until death do us part, is a concept that most people today don't hold. Many people think that they do, or many people say that they do, but on some level know that they don't. And yet some people do really believe that. And and I find that when people start talking about a premarital agreement, that question comes up for them, and they often find that they're in different places as to the answer. Um, I think of it something like a uh, like a pinwheel. People are in different places on this pinwheel. Some people are in death do us part. Some people are whoa until you know he hits me. Some people are in until we're not fulfilled or until we're not in love. They're all different places on this pinwheel that you might that you might stand with regards to this question. And people need to explore where they are respectively on that pinwheel before they get married. Not because it's important for them to be in the same place, because that's not possible. Nobody, nobody is in the exact same place on this pinwheel. But because they need to know how the difference in where they stand on that pinwheel uh, creates a dynamic that can be used in their marriage. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or did I say that clearly? Yeah, I think it does. And what it does is it helps people see that uh, there's a whole spectrum and there's all different ways to approach marriage. And again, it opens up the conversation about marriage. And when somebody shuts it down, because how can you talk about this? And this must mean that it's not forever for you. What they're doing is they're closing down the possibilities of hearing what the fears, concerns, worries are of the other person. And what it is that they are wanting to accomplish as they are moving forward. And so uh, some of the coaching that we give to couples around this is how to have conversations that open up possibilities for strengthening and unifying your relationship. So if you find yourself hit with a strong reaction of, you know, how dare you or how could you think that way and feeling really hurt, and what you've done is you've spoken into a value and something that really matters to that person. And so the best thing to do is to drop in and acknowledge what their concerns are. Dive a little deeper with them around what they're reacting to, what's been, where they've gotten offended, and find out where they're, where that's coming from for them. 
what is it that you're tapping into? And then, oh, great. then you go to a place of saying, and I also have some worries and fears based on my background that I want to make sure we really address, not saying that I want that to happen or that I have one foot in and one foot out, but more I would be devastated if this didn't work out, and I want to make sure that if for some reason it didn't, that we actually can really stay connected and love each other as opposed to going through the hell that my parents went through or my aunt and uncle, whatever it might have been that somebody witnessed that was devastating to them that they want to make sure that doesn't happen to this loving relationship down the road. So you can have the both and. What did you want to say about that? Well, I I just love that tool. I mean, I I think the tool you just referenced is the tool of looking at a fear, like a concern that comes up, and flipping it around and interpreting through the lens of what's the value behind the fear. And then you yeah. look at the value, and then you have, then you get to have a conversation on values and shared values and differences in values, and that's so powerful. Mm-hmm. So to answer your 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 uh, emailer's question, mm-hmm. the first point is you're probably not in the same place on that spectrum or that pinwheel, so um, explore it, and uh, and it's okay to be in different places, and the the places where you are. Uh, are going to add a, a strengthening dynamic to your relationship. And I can speak more on my theory of that later if you want. It's not really directly an answer to this question. So that's the first answer. The second answer is that, uh, again, you have a default prenup anyway. And that's the, the default rules in the state where you live. And that default prenup does contemplate divorce. And so if you're somebody and your spouse is somebody who believes that um, divorce should never happen and that marriage is forever, um, in that case, you probably need to tweak the rules a little bit to support your belief in that. And, uh, and so you might actually need a prenup in order to support your subjective belief about what marriage is. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, one yeah. example is I had a... Uh, a young man come to me who had a pretty significant amount of inherited wealth, and uh, he had a little bit of guilt around that wealth, frankly. And he also a lot of our listeners do. Yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. I noticed that quite a lot. Um, so he had a little bit of guilt around the wealth, and he also felt very deeply that uh, marriage was forever. And that a marriage, uh, in a marriage, the couple should share everything completely. And now, if you recall what I said at the beginning of the program about California default law, um, anything that you've acquired prior to marriage is separate property, and what you acquire during marriage is community. Well, in his case, his entire trust would have been separate property, and he wasn't working, so it was only the trust disbursements in his case that would have been community property. And he he was uncomfortable with this. His fiance had never said anything about it. Um, she she was in love with him. I it was my read on it and didn't care so much about the money. Uh, but what he wanted to do was to share everything with her as of the day of marriage. And uh, you know he'd spoken to his financial advisors about this, and he'd spoken to his family about this, and he'd. Uh, gone through a very long process, and of course, all of his advisors had counseled him against it. Uh, but because his belief was that in a marriage everything should be shared equally, and that it was forever, 
he really wanted to create a prenup that um, caused all of his assets to be community property. And uh, well, to do that, highly unusual. Wow. Highly unusual. But I, the the point I want to make, really, I mean, the thing the thing to really point to here is that his belief is unusual, but it can be done with a contract. But it's got to be done with a contract. The only way yeah. to do that is with a contract, because the default law contemplates that there might be a divorce, and he might want to keep his trust assets if there's a divorce, right? So that's what yeah. the default prenup would do. We ended up creating a hybrid that, um, you know, that wasn't quite as uh, stark as he had asked us for it to be, um, and we worked closely with his estate planners and financial advisors to come up with this hybrid agreement. And it made everybody really happy, and it was very generous on his part. But it was not the default rule, and it came from his belief that marriage is forever. Oh, this is great. And, you know, there's another part to this that I want to speak into. Um, what, a, what a wonderful, inspiring way to open up all kinds of possibilities. So there's two sides of this. My first side is... Um, I've worked with clients, and I want to know how you approach this one, because uh, where they have inherited wealth, and the inherited wealth in, wealth is already has dictates in it that uh, it cannot go to anybody other than a bloodline, and they're stewards of that wealth, and it's supposed to go on for future generations, so their children will get it, but their spouse right. won't, and they don't have any say in that. So they're in the position of having to, what they feel oftentimes is impose a prenup on their spouse that, you know, their future spouse that they would very much not like to ask that of. Maybe they have values similar to this client you were talking about, but they don't have a choice. And it's one of the most painful situations a couple can go through Yeah. um, in terms of how to approach that one when it's not even necessarily expressing their values. And we speak about it in terms of stewarding somebody else's wealth versus creating and building what you want and then how to use the distributions in ways that can really build what it is that you want to create together that's yours as a partnership. Um, And so I was wondering if you had encountered that and how you flow with that and what you've seen. We have, and I think that you your approach is is right in line with ours. Uh, our view is that you know all human beings everywhere are saddled with rules and dictates that they didn't choose. I mean, my tax dollars go to support wars in places that I don't support, and there's not a whole lot I can do about that. And um, some of our clients have inherited wealth that they don't get to control, and there's not a whole lot they can do about that. So. End of story. We have our circumstances. That's it. But then but then we have this marriage that comes together. And, I mean, part of the beauty of crafting a marriage together is looking at your, your, your respective circumstances and how do they come together to create your unique relationship. And so we start from the premise that it may not be ideal, but it is what it is. And so what can we create from here? And... Um, you're exactly right that it's it comes down to the distributions because that's the one thing that these people can control. Uh, so you you have a certain number, amount of distributions, and what do you want to do with those together? Um, so what we often do with the prenup is that we say uh, we make it very clear that those distributions are community property if that's what the client wants. We make it very clear that they're uh, community property and can be managed equally by both partners and uh, then we talk about what they're going to do with those distributions. 
there's another factor in California default law that we didn't cover, which is spousal support. Mm-hmm. So uh, spousal support in, is is called alimony in most other states. In California, we call it spousal support. And the concept is that the higher-earning spouse pays to the lower-earning spouse some amount of money per month uh, for a certain number of years. And it's roughly half the length of the marriage, except for very long-term marriages. It can, it can go on forever. And so uh, spousal support is calculated based on the income of the parties. And for somebody who has trust distributions, that is their income. Uh, and so, or it might be in addition to the income that they get. It's, it's added into their income. They might be working as well. So, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out because that adds uh, another layer that's very important. Um, so, And, in fact, that's the layer I want to point to. So some couples will say, you know, I, I don't think my trust distributions should be included in my income when calculating support. So we'll carve it out. Mm-hmm. And we'll say that only your income from work is calculated. And other couples say, you know, I really want to share. I mean, I, I really think it's right that this be included. And so uh, we make it explicit that the trust distributions are calculable for spousal support. Um, and we can also set spousal support to be higher than the default rates or lower or change the, the um, duration of the distributions. Um, my point being that uh, there are a number of ways to to, to impact a, a marriage and what would happen if the marriage ended, um, looking at the actual circumstances that people face and not do, what they wish. Yeah, exactly. Let's look at reality and deal with reality. Exactly. Yeah. And do you ever do stair-stepping ones where, you know, for the first five years of our marriage, this is the agreement. When we're together for 10 years, this is what the agreement looks like. We have an agreement that after 15 years of marriage, we're going to relook at the prenup and we're going to make some revisions. Like, Do you ever build that in so that couples have a sense of, you know, we're really investing in being together long term and that the terms of this really shift the, the longer we're together? Because uh, I've heard opinions on both sides of that in terms of kind of like the golden handcuffs that people can get stuck with. Um and, you know, where they're, like, trapped in a loveless marriage, but they stay because, you know, after year 15, and I get more. You know, it's like it goes both ways. So I was wondering what, yeah, those, what, if you those, could weigh in on that one. Those clauses are, are so useful. And they used to be um, they used to be sort of exotic clauses that were only built into very high-asset prenups. Um, and they've become really common in the last five or six years. So now we use... Um, uh, event horizons and uh, stair-stepping clauses for lots of different issues. The very common issue that we use it for these days is uh, real estate. A lot of times one person owns a home that they've had prior to marriage and then they uh, they get married, but the person who doesn't own the home feels like they you know they want to own a piece of the home that they live in because they're contributing to it and it's their you know it's their home. This is a very important concept for people. And so um, so we'll create a clause that says 5%, for instance, of the value of this home will be contributed to the community for every year that we're married. And then after 10 years, 50% of the home is owned by the community. Um, and that way, over time, throughout the course of the marriage, uh, 
the home starts to be owned by both parties, and it's very gradual. And um, and the more gradual these stair steps, the tinier the steps is another way to put it, the better. Mm-hmm. So what we often do is say that a, a, a tiny sliver of value is earned every single day uh, of the marriage as opposed to every year or every month. That way there's no uh, giant cliff. Yes, um, very sometime, nice. Yeah. Right, right. Sometimes people will wait for this cliff to, to get divorced because they know that if they can just hang on for five years and 364 days, mm-hmm. they get X number of dollars. So we try to do away with that whole problem and just yeah. step it out very gradually. Well, we got a great question that came in. I'm really excited about it because I know it's another population you love to work with and really are a proponent of, and it's uh, for same-sex couples. Oh, great. So for same, same-sex couples that cannot legally be married and therefore often write their own wills in order to ensure that their partner is guaranteed to receive the inheritance that is granted married couples in the event of death, um, is there something that they should do or could do when they move in together or join their lives as life partners to protect themselves in the event that something happens since the law is not recognizing them legally in the same way? So what do you uh, do in terms of same-sex couples? That's a great question. But I, I have know. to say, first, there was something that concerned me in what your caller or your writer asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said uh, that same-sex couples, quote, often write their own wills. That's not the question she's asking or he's asking, but I just want to say, if you're writing your own will, be very, very careful. Uh, Estate planning specifically is something you've really got to have a lawyer help you with. Uh, So I hope that what they mean is that they're writing wills as opposed to trying to draft their own wills by themselves. Right. It's not a good thing to just go get a do-it-yourself version if you've got the complexities of same-sex couples. Yeah, there's so many different pieces to consider that most people don't even know to ask. Yeah, Yeah, and specifically with same-sex couples. It's just so complicated in that context. Okay, so on to premarital. It it really does, yeah. Um, And and particularly so for me because when we're drafting um, what we call pre-registration agreements, or cohabitation agreements for same-sex couples, we always have to refer back to their estate planning documents in order to make sure that our uh, prenup doesn't contradict those. And so we've got to make sure that the estate planning documents are drafted properly. So please do make sure you have a lawyer for that process. Uh, Okay, so I I half answered the question already, which is that for same-sex couples, uh, there are two kinds of documents that are very relevant. In California, if the couple is going to enter into a California-registered domestic partnership, then we can have essentially a prenup uh, just called something different. It's a pre-registration agreement. And if you're in a state that doesn't recognize domestic partnerships or if you just don't want to have a domestic partnership for whatever reason but you're going to move in together and cohabitate, then we can create an agreement called a cohabitation agreement, which... Um, specifies all of the same, uh, addresses all the same issues and tries to specify certain rights for the couple that wouldn't exist otherwise. Um, so that that was a, a, a mouthful. I, I think I probably overcomplicated it. No, it's, it's great. I think that um, I want to make sure listeners know how to um, 
reach you because this is an area of um, law that you really are well versed in. And you also work um, like hand in glove with the state planning professionals that really understand the nuances. And there's there's so many different aspects of this. And when we talk about estate planning, we're not just talking about your will in terms of um, who gets what, but also who makes medical decisions, who can be present if one of you were to get, um, you know, really seriously ill, who uh, is going to make end-of-life decisions uh, should you that be, you know, needing to be handled in terms of, uh, you know, are you going to pull the plug? It's a big yeah. deal in same-sex couples, as is uh, power of attorney, who makes financial decisions if somebody becomes incapacitated. Uh, there's so many different pieces that... Uh, you want to make sure you have really good sound legal advice around that. Uh-huh. And the so, way those pieces interact is yeah. where uh, is where the magic happens or the drama. Uh, <laughs> well, so yeah, the, we we handle quite a few same sex um, agreements of various stripes and and uh, and and because the area is so broad, I think I started to speak too generally about it. Um, I can go into more details if you like. I think we might have to have you come back and do another show on just that because there's so that, many different yeah. pieces to that if you'd be open to it. Um, sure. Before we go into kind of the closing comments and how people can reach you, I want to make sure that we also address another question that came in because we're, you know, I love how these shows just go so quickly. I can't believe we only have 10 minutes left. Oh, wow. Um, I know. Um, I've always heard prenups in relationship to financial wealth and property, but Eric sounds like he's saying that every couple should have one. Is he referring to all couples where one or both partners have wealth of a certain level, or are there non-financial aspects that should be included regardless of the net worth and assets? Oh, that's another great question. Yeah, those okay, are so listeners. We have that caliber of listener on the show. <laughs> I love these people. Uh, so there are clauses that are str- are are not typically included in prenups that can be included. And there are clauses that are not enforceable in prenups that can be included. And these are clauses that typically don't have anything to do with finances. Uh, And the reason that you might include a clause that is not enforceable in California um, is because you want to memorialize a concept between the two of you uh, so that you can both refer back to it later on. a clause What's that a, good a lot of, of that. yeah, yeah an, an example that a lot of people ask about is clauses having to do with sexual relations. And uh, in California, we live in what's called a no-fault divorce state, and that means that it doesn't matter why you're getting divorced; you can you can get it no matter what, and um, there's no penalties for things like adultery, um, you, you know, or or uh, adultery really. And so, so as a result. The, the impact of that is that in a prenup, um, no court can enforce any clause you include that has to do with those kinds of things. So if you include clauses about sex, they can't be enforced by a court. But they can be included as long as you're clear that in the prenup and, and actually state that you understand it's not enforceable, but you're including it anyway. Uh, and so a lot of couples will say, you know, um, well, I had a couple recently that was polyamorous. And um, oh, they for, just wanted for our listeners, you know, in, in Northern California, that's become quite a, a typical <laughs> phrase. But for listeners out in the uh, the field, uh, could you just define polyamorous? Couples sure. For everybody. Yeah, polyamory, um, broadly speaking, means that it's essentially an open marriage, 
or an open relationship. And it's come to mean a very specific thing um, in Northern California in the polyamory community. Uh, there's a specific structure to these kinds of relationships. There's usually a primary relationship uh, between two parties who are committed to one another, and then they have secondary um, sexual or romantic relationships outside of that primary relationship. And, so it's like actually being um, upfront and open about it as opposed to having uh, affairs behind your partner's back. Yeah, all of the different, all of the couples have different rules. Some of them have the rule that everything needs to be communicated in advance, um, the, or uh, that each person needs to get permission to have an affair outside of the relationship um, before doing so. Uh, and some people don't require that. Um, but this particular couple that came to me wanted to be very explicit about what their rules were, um, knowing that no court could enforce it, but they wanted to be able to reference back to it um, and both for purposes of, of enforcement between the two of them later, but more importantly so that they could just be really clear up front. They're entering into something that's a little unusual. They wanted to be very clear what it was. Uh, and so we drafted in clauses around uh, what polyamory meant to them. Oh, my gosh. How fabulous that they found a lawyer that really understood that and could help them <laughs> craft something like that. That really That's a great example of having a foundational conversation right at the start around your values and what this means to you and then codifying it in a way where it becomes a solid foundational cornerstone of your relationship as opposed to, oh, we'll just deal with things when they come up, right? Because, you know, when you anticipate things and you have a lawyer that can say, well, you need, you need to consider this or have you thought about this, it can be so helpful. Right. Yeah. Uh, another clause is uh, religious affiliation. Um, a lot of people want to include a clause about uh, which religion they're going to practice during marriage. That's not enforceable by a court, but it's pretty important to discuss. Uh, and it's important to state up front, so sometimes we'll include that clause. Um, I've even had people talk about exercise, weight gain, and health, uh, and wanting to have that included. Um, my view is that include oh. anything that's very important to both of you, um, but but don't use it as an opportunity to force something down the neck of the other person. Very important comment, and it goes back to the the money types that we talked about. And you know, I'm going to use this opportunity to mold you and shape you into what I think you should be. You know, that's a very domineering um, archetype that can really wreak havoc in relationships. And yeah. to definitely have these conversations before you get married, because it lets you know about the degree of control somebody wants to have over who and what you are. But if it's something that you both are really clear about, it's like, no, we are committed to fitness and health. This is one of the reasons that we came together. We want to make sure that that's really stated clearly. Yeah, definitely do that. But make sure yeah. that the we is an authentic we and not just a going along to get along we because you're signing a, this is a contract when you get married. It's really significant and serious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you've you've really got to have advisors who are mindful of that of that process and that dynamic mm -hmm. when they go in. I'm you know, I'm I'm very sensitive to the control dynamic and if something is if something just doesn't seem right I'll I'll at least articulate it to my client. Yeah, and it's really and important to yeah. check in with the other client. And um, a lot of times, don't people go to separate lawyers to do a prenup, or do they go together to do it? Like, what have you? What do you recommend? Well, this is this is also a great question, and I'll try to be brief because I know we're running out of time. I know. There's a couple of process options. The traditional process is one person goes to their lawyer and says, "Here's what I want in the agreement." That lawyer drafts it 
and then sends it over to the other person's lawyer who reads it to their client, and then there's a negotiation process between the lawyers until you come up with the final agreement. Uh, that works very well for some couples and terribly for other couples. Um, a more progressive process, but also more expensive, unfortunately, is to hire one lawyer as a mediator to draft the agreement collaboratively with the two parties. Mm-hmm. And then and then once the agreement is drafted, uh, each party, each couple, each uh, person in the couple needs to take the agreement to their separate lawyer to have it reviewed. And I, I'm talking about involvement of lawyers because in California, to have an enforceable agreement, you really need um, each party to be represented by a separate lawyer. Yes, and I, I know that in other states as well. So that's yeah. really important. Yeah. yeah, definitely know what the laws are in your state or in your country when you're looking at doing this. And um, as we're getting ready to come to the close, I want to make sure, Eric, you know, if you were to say the three most important considerations when creating a prenuptial agreement, what would you say that those are to make sure that all of our listeners really leave with some um, you know, useful tools? Like, What is it that hmm. they need to consider? That's a great question. I, I think the first consideration is to know what marriage means to you. And that takes a lot of time and introspection, but really get to the core of what actually is marriage for you. And then the second consideration is what are your fears and concerns having to do with money specifically um, in marriage? And then you use the prenup to address those and to articulate them to your spouse. And then the third consideration, and this is the most challenging for everybody, is what are your partner's fears and concerns? And can you get yourself into their shoes? Because if you can't understand your partner's fears and concerns and address those in a healthy way, you're never going to come up with an agreement that's really useful for both people. Oh, really well said. Thank you. And one of the things that I love about what you're doing is you're taking this out into the world and you're taking some action. So we can't go into detail now, but I want to make sure people know about the workshops that you're doing for couples where they can come and really tap into how to dive into those considerations in the most graceful and effective way possible so that they can successfully navigate this. Do you want to speak uh, a moment about those? Yeah, thanks for mentioning it. Um, so, yes, my uh, my best friend who's a therapist and has been married for 22 years and I have created a weekend-long course for newly engaged couples to work on their marriage in advance. The course is not uh, legal-based. It's not about prenups. It's really about how to strengthen a marriage. Uh, we've researched all of the literature on the topic, and we've come up with, uh, we've really distilled the literature down to 10 principles uh, that we think every couple needs to have to succeed in marriage, and we um, we basically work people work with people through those principles uh, over the course of the weekend. Um, and the website, which is uh, should be completed in about a week, is MeaningfulMarriage.com. So right now, if you go there, you'll just see a a GoDaddy landing page, but it should be up in about a week. MeaningfulMarriage.com, and there will be course dates on there. So thrilling. And once you all are, um, you know, ready to to speak about what you're doing on a a larger basis, I'd love to have both of you on the show, and we can talk more in depth about it. And uh, thank you so much for being here. I want to end with uh, our ways of making sure that you leave this conversation taking some action. So our evocative question when it comes to prenups is uh, acknowledging that we enter an agreement when we say, I do. Do you know what your agreement is and what it says? 
or if you're about to enter into that conversation, are you going to do your research and find out? Our inspiring invitation is we invite you to take your marriage head on. Create the marriage of your dreams and not just the wedding of your dreams. And then our useful tools, we have a couple. One is a wonderful little paperback book. It's very small. It's not intimidating. And it's called The Hard Questions, 100 Questions to Ask Before You Say I Do by Susan Piver, P-I-V-E-R. And there's a section on finances. And it's really useful to get these conversations going and see how you do with navigating them. And then the other is, um, if you go to our blog at wealthlegacygroup.net and read the blog on this show, you can download um, the Heath Newton's uh, Guide to Premarital Agreements, or you can go straight to their website. You can go to heathnewton.com, and they have a guide to California premarital agreements. It's really a well-written guide. I've used it and um, shared it with clients, and it's uh, one of the reasons I wanted Eric on the show, because I, I love the hope much a proponent you are of people having healthy relationships. So Eric Newton of Keith Newton, thank you so much for being on our show and for talking about peanuts, and we're definitely going to have you back. Thanks, Emily. It was great fun, and I'll look forward to the next one. Wonderful. Have a great day, and our listeners, have a great day, and uh, have great marriages. Amen. Yes. Bye, Emily. Bye, Eric. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City.